Okay, we're going to start here on the top of Pei and Aleph. Yesterday we left off discussing why it is that a boat is Tahor. So we had two opinions as to why a boat is Tahor. We have the opinion of the Mishnah, which says because it's found in the water. We have the other opinion, which was Hanania, says that we compare it to a sack. And just like a sack is carried full and empty, so too a boat that can be transported full and empty, that type of boat is considered to be Tameh. Otherwise, it would be Tahor. Most boats, when they are loaded, cannot be carried around, and therefore it would be Tahor. Gemara brought two nafkaminot, two differences between the opinions. One was klicheres, that was made out of earthenware, a boat that was made out of klicheres. There, our Mishnahs would still say Tahor, because it has to do with the ocean, nothing to do with the materials used. Whereas, according to Hananya, Sak is only de- definition for materials that are found in the Pasuk alongside of Sak. Klicheres is not one of those materials, therefore does not have the qualification of Malay Virekan. The second one was a small boat, would be a difference between them. A small boat, according to our Mishnah, still is Tahor, because it's found out on the water. But according to Hanani, if it's a small boat that you can carry in and out of the water, Sfinata Yerdain, then that would be Tameh. That's how we left the Gemara yesterday. Gemara now says, what does it mean to be mitteltel? What does it mean to be carried? Until now we've assumed carried means a human being can pick up the boat, carry it into the water, out of the water. If it's loaded, unloaded, they can carry it. What happens if the carrying is done by something else like animals? So that's what the Gemara is dealing with. Amar Rava. He makes a statement that tiltul by animals is considered to be tiltul. If the boat is so big that a human couldn't lift it, but if you used oxen, they could move the boat, and they could lift the boat up, that would be sufficient to determine that this boat is metaltel malay vereikam. And it would be mekabel tumah according to Hananiah. So we've now expanded the realm of things that are called tiltul. And before, we just said svinata yardain, which is a small boat. Whether it was a canoe, a rowboat, something very small. There we said, that's metaltel malev reikan. We've now just expanded that universe by saying, well, if animals can carry it, then that's also considered to be metaltel malev reikan. Right, he does not define for us, he doesn't define for us what it means, but it sounds like that they could pull it, or they can move it. Movement seems to be the, the key factor based on the proof that we're going to bring to this. Now the Gemara says, I can prove this to you, it's not... Because we have a Mishnah. Gemara is about to quote a Mishnah from Masechet Kelim. Gemara actually quotes two Mishnayot. The Perak there in Masechet Kelim says, Shalosh Agalotain. There are three types of wagons. And the whole Perak is structured that way. There are three types of this, three types of that, three types of this. The Gemara quotes two of the Mishnayot there. The first one, which is the second Mishnah in the Perak, which is the proof text. It then skips a Mishnah and then quotes another Mishnah which is not a proof text, and has nothing to do with our situation here. Tosafot even asks, why did the Gemara quote this Mishnah? And he said, just because it was dragged along with the other one, they skipped the Mishnah in between. So why didn't they bring it down? Why did it brought over here? It's not so clear why it's brought over here. Nevertheless, we'll read the Mishnah that are quoted, which is, Shalosh Agalotain. There are three types of wagons. Asuya Kikatedra, Tmeya Midras. If it's made like a Katedra, then it accepts Tumat Midras. Now again here, a little introduction. The Mishnayot here calls something Tmeya Midras or Tamei Mate. The difference between them has nothing to do with the level of Tumah, but rather the methodology by which they can accept Tumah. Tumat Midras is a Tumah that's associated, with, you know, with the Zav, a Zava, Nida, which is that if they sit or they lay on top of an item, that it's Mikavel Tumah. That's even if they are not in direct contact with the item. As long as they sit or they can lay on top of the item, they can make that item into an avatumah. They can convey tumah from themselves to the item through what's called tumat midras. On the other hand, tumata mate cannot be conveyed in that way. Tumata mate can only be conveyed through contact. We know that for carrying ohel, there are other ways for mate to be conveyed, but it cannot be through midras. So whenever the Mishnah wants to contrast something that can accept Tumat Midras, something that can accept Tumat Midras is something that's made to be sat on, made to be laid on. Something that has that type of utility to it. We know, and we've seen this before, that if you sit on it, but that's not its main utility, 
For instance, you turn a bucket upside down and sit on it. That does not have too much midras, because we say, Amod ben The main purpose of the bucket is to use it as a bucket. And you would turn it over, you tell the person, get up, and let me use my bucket. So even though you can sit on it, since its main utility is not to be sat on, but rather to be used the inside of the bucket, it will not have tumat midras. So whenever you're talking about tumat midras, you have to have those qualifications. You have to have something that is made to be sat on, to be laid on, and it has to be something that has a material that qualifies to have tumat midras, which we'll get to. The other thing is, if the mission says, in contrast to that, tumat mate, it's not saying anything about the level of tumat of the other object. It's just telling you that the other object cannot accept Tumah through Midras. Sitting and laying on the other object will not help to convey the Tumah. You must use one of the other methodologies for conveying Tumah. So here we have this wagon, which is Gikatedra. It's a word that sounds familiar, whether it's a theater or a something that looks like a cathedral. Whatever it means, it has three sides to it. The equivalent of which, this wagon is like those wagons or chariots that are used in battle. The ones that are very, very shallow that the rider sits in and is pulled by the horses, the cavalry, and that the fighter sits in that wagon. So it has three sides of it are covered, and there's a seat in there for them to sit. So because of that, it's me'amidras. You can have tumat midras because the function of this wagon is to sit in it. On the other hand, kimita, if you have a wagon which is the equivalent of a flatbed, it's exactly a flatbed truck, it's a flat wagon, it has a piece of leather that sits in the middle. Whatever it is, it's holding it, but it's flat. Over there, it's tmeya tamei mate. Over there, it has tmatamait. Now, you could sit on such a wagon, but that's not the primary purpose or function of this wagon. This wagon is for transporting goods and merchandise. So, no, this is just a flat. It's a flat wagon. That's it, without any seat, without any driver. The driver either sits on the horse or the oxen in the front or just walks alongside of it. There is no, like you think of a traditional wagon that has a seat in front for the driver and then the carrying of the wagon in the back. That's not like this. This one does not have such a seat in it. It simply has a place for merchandise. And having a place for merchandise, therefore it can accept tumatamate. It has function. It is a kli. But on the other hand, it's not made for sitting on. And if someone sits on it or lies on it, we say... Get up, let us do what we're supposed to do with it, which is carry merchandise, put goods on there. Then you have a third type of agala, which is shelavanim. Not that it's made out of stones, but rather that it transports stones. That is to horamiklum. That it does not accept tumah whatsoever. This is a wagon that is transporting, whether it's bricks or stones, large items. Therefore, it does not require what we call a bait kibul. As opposed to the flatbed, which has an area which is solid underneath it, and probably has a perimeter of some sort around it. So it has a bait kibul, a place where you place things into a receptacle of sorts. Over here, by the avanim, they're big. So what you have is, you can have the equivalent of a cage, or... What are called a child's playpen. That would be the equivalent of what it is, where you have the bars on the side, and the, you can have the same thing on the bottom. These stones are so large, they're not going to fall out. Even if you don't have a solid bottom or solid walls, even if they're just bars or made up of a meshwork of wood, but has large holes in it. So it doesn't have a baked kibul. If you place something inside of it, it's just going to fall out. The reason it functions here is because the avanim are so big that they don't fall out. Therefore, it doesn't have a baked kibul. It's not made to sit on. So it doesn't have a dinner of Tumah. So Amar Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan qualifies that and says, The exception to that is, if the holes are small enough that they can hold onto pomegranates, then it does have Tumah to mate. Because then it does qualify as a Beit Kibu. It's not so important to our sugya, but the Mishnayot and Kelim speak about how I ruin a Kli. We've spoken about this in the past. If I have a kli, and I want to ruin it so it's no longer tamay, I make a hole in it. If I make a hole in it, it can no longer hold the item that was in it, or items that were in it. There, the Mishnayot and Kelim talk about different sizes of holes. That even if you put a hole within a keli, and it will no longer hold small items, it can still hold larger items. The largest of those items is a rimon, a pomegranate. They're talking about not the little pomegranate, they're talking about the whole pomegranate with the seeds in it, which is a large fruit. 
And therefore, if it has the ability to hold onto the pomegranates, the holes are small enough that they do not allow the pomegranates to escape, then it qualifies as having a bait kibul, as a receptacle, because it can hold on to these fruits. So that's what Rabbi Yochanan says. The holes have to be bigger than a remote in order for it to be really tahor. If they are not bigger than a remote, then it has a bait kibul, and it's then in the previous category, which is it, it can accept tumah, tumatamate. It's a clay kibul. On the other hand, if the holes are bigger than a pomegranate, it's tahor legamre. So that's the three agalot that we have over here. No, they had the bricks. We know they had stones and bricks. But that's not considered to be right, something that is utility or function in the normal way of a Beit Kibul. Remember, a Beit Kibul receptacle. A receptacle has to function because it is a receptacle and because it, it's holding that which is inside of it. Because of its receptacle and because of the size of the holes, it will hold what you place into it. So Ramon was going to be the largest item that people would store and consider to be a regular utility with these types of items. So then the Mishnah continues. It's really not this Mishnah, it's two Mishnayot later, which is Shlosh Tevotain. There are three types of, we'll call them boxes or chests. Teva, Shepitcha, Mitzida. A Teva, box that has its opening from the side. You can see here the other possibility of the Girsa there is Shepachta Mitzida, that it opened up or broke down on the side. You access the box or the storage unit from the side. So such a storage unit has dual function. That is because it stores, you can place items inside of it, but it also has a solid top. And the solid top allows one to sit on it or lay on it without interfering with the storage function because you access it from the side. So because of that, if you have a tevash, it's midras. You can accept to mat midras because it's made to be sat on or laid on without interfering with its primary purpose of storage. On the other hand, milmalo, if accessibility is granted from up top, the door or accessibility is from the top, then it's tmeatamemate. It'll only accept tuma as tmeatmate. It will not accept tumat midras because if you sit on this or lay on it, we're going to say amod benasemachtenu. Get up so we can access the storage inside. So because of that, it only has tumata mate, but not tumata midras. Vaba'ab midah. Something that is so large that it's called something baba midah. Torah miklum. Torah the gamre. Rashi says, why is it called baba midah? It's interesting, Rashi asks the question, he says, why is it called baba midah? Nobody explains why it has this. He says, I don't know. Loit parish malashon baba midah. That's what I think. You have to measure its capacity, its size, meaning that size matters here. And what is that size? That is something that is so big that it holds 40 sa'ah belach, 40 sa'ah in liquids, which is 60 sa'ah in dry goods. I've had this in the past, that it can hold larger amounts a quantity of dry goods than liquids because liquids are maximum or tapped out when you hit the top of the rim. Once you're over the top of the rim, you have a little surface tension, but after that, the liquids are going to spill over. On the other hand, dry goods you can heap up even above the rim. So because of that, dry goods have, according to the Gemara, one-third more capacity within this size utensil. So if it holds 40 sa'ah belach, shame kuraim, 60 sa'ah yavesh, that is considered to be an item that is so big that it's not normally moved. So since it's not normally moved, what do we say? It is tahor legamre. Okay, what was the proof text here? Let's not lose sight of what we brought these Mishnayot for, which is that we brought them to prove that something that is drawn by oxen has a din of tiltul, something that can be moved, and it could possibly have tumah. The case the Gemara is bringing is from the agalot. It's from the wagons. Wagons are made to be moved. So now the first wagon where someone's riding in it, obviously it's made to be moved, and it's moving around. The second one is the flatbed, and the third one is shelavanim. So now, even though these wagons are loaded, and they are so heavy to the point where they can only be moved by oxen, nevertheless, they are considered to be mitultal. None of those wagons were disqualified because of the 
weight that they were bearing. The wagons all were considered to be mitulto, that they all were considered to be things that move, no matter what type of weight that you placed on them. The only time we had the exception was this teva. The teva was so big that it couldn't be moved. Then we said, okay, that teva is tahor because of its size. The wagons, none of the wagons were disqualified because of the weight that they bore. Even though most likely a human could not move them necessarily. Now maybe with a human being you could do that. You could have a rickshaw that they could move along. But the other things that are carrying merchandise, whether it's the avanim, which is taro miklum, or it's the pragmatia, the one, the flatbed that's carrying the materials or merchandise in it, neither of those were excluded because of the amount of weight that was placed into them. There was no disqualification for weight. Why not? Because these wagons are normally pulled by oxen. And despite the fact that they're pulled by oxen, they're considered to be the tultal, that they move. That they, since they move, that's enough to have them be within the world of Tuma. So that's the proof that we brought to the fact that even though the boat cannot be carried by a human, but can be moved by animals, that is sufficient to put it into the world of Tuma, that it's metaltel malay vireikan. Alright, that's the end of that piece. Now the Gemara jumps into a new thing, which is Tanovanan. Midras klicheres tahor. Midras, when it comes to Tumat Midras, by klicheres, by earthenware utensils, they are tahor. Rabbi Yossi Omer, afasfina, so too the boat. Alright, this is a cryptic statement. We really don't understand what's transpiring over here. And the Gemara asks right away, my kamar, what does this mean? What are they trying to say over here. Now, in terms of Midras, Kli Cheres, you have to understand how Kli Cheres works. Kli Cheres has unusual, earthenware utensils are unusual when it comes to Tumah. They do not accept Tumah simply from coming into contact with them on the outside. Kli Cheres do not accept Tumah from the outer side of the utensil. What they do accept Tumah is from the internal side, the receptacle side of the Kli Cheres, and that's even if you don't come into contact with it. Even Be'aviro, if you come into the airspace of the Klicheres, it's Mikabel Tumah. But at least from the outside, there is no Din of Tumah. So now when we say Midras Klicheres Tahor, if the Zav sits on it, say we turn over Klicheres and he sits on it, then it remains Tahor, because he never comes into contact with its Avir, with its internal space. So that's why it doesn't have Tumat Midras, is because whatever you, however you would use it as a midras, you're not internal to it. If you are internal to it, the reason is it's tamay, it has nothing to do with midras anymore, but it has to do with the fact that you're inside of its airspace. So, for instance, if you had a bucket, earthenware bucket, or an earthenware pitcher, barrel that you turned over and sat on the back of it, won't be mekabal tumah because you're not inside or in the internal side of the klicheres. It doesn't accept tumah from the outside. If for whatever reason it was made as a Beit Kibu and you could place yourself into it, then the reason it's Tamei is because you're in the airspace of the Klicheres. You don't need Tumat Midras at that point. So that's what the statement which we understand, which is Midras Klicheres Tahor. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi Yomer Afa we don't know what that reference is. My Kamar, Amar Zvid. Kamar. This is what it means. Midras Klicheres Tahor. Umaga'o. Tamei. And if you come into contact with it, it is Tamei. Usfina shelcheres Tmeya. And a Sfina that's made, a boat that is made out of earthenware, Tmeya. Te Chananya. Like Chananya. Chananya, which we saw before. Chananya says that the reason a boat is Tahor is because of the comparison to Sah. We said before that Klicheres is not included in that Pasuk of materials that are compared to a Sah. And therefore, it doesn't have that requirement that it can be tultal malay virekam, that it can be carried around empty and full. And therefore, a boat that is klicheres is tmeya. So that would be the whole statement of the Tanakama. Along comes Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Yossi says, no, that's not true. Afa sfina tehora. Why does Rabbi Yossi think that sfina, the boat is tehora, even if it's made from klicheres? Because he's so verket tanadidan. He holds like our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says that the reason a boat is tahor is because it's in the water. The boat's in the water, tahor, because it's like the yam. And therefore the qualification to be tahor has nothing to do with the material you're made out of. It just has to be in the water. If you're in the water, your sfina is tehorah. So that's how Rav Zvid reworks this right Tosefta from Kelim, to tell us that information. Rav Papa poses a question. 
Where did the word af disappear to in Rav Zvid's explanation? Rav Zvid made a nice layout of the Brighta now, the Tosefta. But when Rav Yossi says, also the Svina is Torah, what is that referencing? When you say af, it means also, even. Why is it even or also? Doesn't make sense. What is he responding to? That was Tahor in the Reisha, that he's now saying is Tahor in the Seifa. So because of that, Rav Papa says, Rav Papa rereads the Tosefta. There's a difficulty in Rav Papa's reading or rereading of the Tosefta. He makes an emendation here, but his emendation is strange. And because of that, Rashi and Tosafot both have to deal with that strange emendation. And they answer in different ways. I'll explain to you both of them. It says, Hachikamar, Midras, Klicheres, Tahor. Again, we start the same way. Midras, when it comes to Klicheres, is Tahor. Umaga'o, Tameh. And contact with it is Tameh. Vishalates, talking about wood, Ben Midraso, Ben Maga'o, Tameh. A wooden utensil, then it accepts Tumah both as Midras, and when you come into contact with it, can accept Tumah in both ways. Usfinata Yardain Tehora Kitana Didan. But Sfinata Yardain is Torah, even though it could be made out of wood. Nevertheless, it's not Mikabal Tumah, like the author of our Mishnah. But our Mishnah says that if you're in the water, you are Tehorah, because it has nothing to do with the fact that the material, whether it can be carried, not carried, size of the boat, none of that is relevant, you are Tehorah. Rabbi Yossi comes along and disagrees. Afa the boat is also tmea. Now, Rabbi Yossi over here in the af is responding to the fact that a wooden utensil is tmea. So now when he says af tmea, it means also the boat. You said the boat is tahor. I say no, the boat is also tmea, just like the wooden utensil where you said before it was tmea midras and tmea maga. The boat has that same status. At least Sfinata Yardin, which can be carried. Malay Therefore, it also has that status. The difficulty in Rapapa's statement is, why did he bring in wood at all? He could have accomplished the same thing without bringing in wood. He could have just stayed with Klicheres and just flipped the opinions like he did. The main difference between Rapapa and Rav Zvid is the order in which they have it. The Rav Zvid explained that the Tanakama thought that the boat was Tmea, and then Rabbi Yossi said that it's Af Tehora. It's also Tehor. Now, all Rapapa could have done was, and solved the problem, was just flipping the opinions as well. He could have just said that the Tanakhama says the boat is Tehora, and then Rabbi Yosef could have come and said, and Afasfina, the Sfina is also Tmeya, responding to the Tumat Maga that's in the Mishnah. That's what you could have done to solve the problem. Rashi says, so then why did he jump and bring in this whole thing with the wood? Says, because, says, Vuadin Dematzi, the Terutze, Sfina Shocheres Torah. As soon as we flipped it, Rashi just said practical issue, which is that boats more likely to be wood than they are to be made out of pottery or earthenware. Says that's just a practical issue. That's Rashi's solution to the problem. Tosafot, on the other hand, says, says Tamil Rabbeinu Tam, the Lamalola Gishel Eitz v'Sfinata Yerdei, Bavdeyelo All you have to do is flip the opinions. Why did he have to do this whole thing with dates? Al-Kain, Yirah, the Rabbeinu Tam, Gigirsat Rach. He likes the Gius of the Rabbeinu Hanano. And sure enough, in the Gius of the Rabbeinu Hanano, there is no eights in there. They simply flip the opinions. And so therefore, Tosafot opts to eliminate the eights from the Girsa. Says it's not necessary. It doesn't add anything to the solution to the Tosefta. And therefore, he goes along with the gears of the Rebbeinu Hananel that doesn't have wood mentioned there at all. He eliminates the whole gear so with regards to the eights, but he also does something else interesting, which is he flips the opinions of Rapapa and Rav Zvid. And therefore, the way it starts out is that Rav Zvid says that a svina is Torah ketana didan, and then Rabbi Yossi says, afa svina atmeya. The problem then is, Rapapa's question, the af is referencing to what in the Ratio, not to say, af tmeya. Tmeya, there was nothing tamei mentioned in the first part of the Braita in the Tosefta. So Rapapa emends it and reads like this, that Midras is Tahor by Klicheres. Then the Tanakhama says, Fina is tmeya. And along comes Rabiosi and says, af Sfina Tehora. And the af of Rabiosi is referencing the Klicheres Midras that is Tahor in the Ratio. So Tosefot solves the problem by 
Number one, eliminating eights entirely, because it was unnecessary, as well as switching Razvin and Rapapa. It's the exact opposite of that way we have it in our Gemara. But then he has a clean reading of the Gemara without entering or amending it to have this additional aspect of Pleiates, which seems not to belong to the Sugya at all. Whereas Rashi preserves the way our Gemara has it with the eights in it, and he Rashi just says it's a practical issue. You're right, it wasn't necessary to put it into the Bright to solve the problem, to accept to solve the problem. But it's more of a practical issue. We want to know a boat. A boat's made out of wood. So it makes more sense just to have the bright to talking about wood than it does have to talk about kli cheres. Now, the Gemara wants to know, umidras kli cheres minalan de tohor. How do we know that when it comes to midras of a kli cheres, that it is tohor? Amar al Chizkiah. says, this is the source for it. Tamar krat, v'ish asher mishkavo, mekish mishkavo lo. It says, a person who comes into contact with mishkavo, mishkavo means the place that the zav slept on, hamishkav shelo, place that he slept on, mekish mishkavo lo. But it does it in the possessive form, which is mishkavo, which is mishkav shelo, which has the mishkav and lo are together. And because of that, mahu, it lay mikveh. says, only things that can attain purity through the mikveh, can they accept tumat midras, something that does not accept purity from the mikveh, they cannot accept tumat midras. Because we compared mishkavo, the bed that the zav lays on, to him himself. That comparison tells us, how does a zav become tohor? Zav becomes tohor by going to the mikveh. That's technically not right. Sabah comes to Or by going to Mayim Chaim. He has to go into a live spring. But the general theme is the same, which is that he can become Tahor. There's a way for him to remove the Tumah from himself. That is not true by Klicheres. Klicheres cannot attain Tahara. Klicheres, that is Tamei, what do you do with it? Break it. Lishaber. It has to be broken in order to remove the Tumah from it. So that's the answer of Chizkiah. Chizkiah says, the Pasuk parallels the Mishkav or the Midrasazav to the Zav himself. So only materials like the Zav himself that can attain Tara will accept Tumat Midras. Things that do not attain Tara, Klicheres, will not accept Tumat Midras. Right. It will not become Tameh from Midras, from simply sitting on it or laying on it. He has to enter into its airspace or touch it internally in order for it to become Tameh. Right, because otherwise it would be Tumat Maga. Right, so Midras, it, or, Midras has other features to it. I will say that, that sometimes Midras can pass Tuma at a higher level than sometimes simply Maga. So there might be, even Midras that is Maga might have some value. There are other things that apply. Tumat Midras is also accepted from the din of Malayan Rekam. Things that can be carried empty and full, that only applies to items that come from Tumat, Maga, Masa, Eset. But Tumat Midras does not have that. So if you have a very large item that cannot be carried full and empty, if you can sit in it or you can lay in it, it will be Mikabal Tumat. That's why yesterday we mentioned by the boat, that Tosa boat has to eliminate Tumat Midras from the boat. It says, wait a minute, boats are made to sit in and lay in. So why should it matter that they're carried full or empty? That doesn't apply to Tumat Midras. The answer he gave was that the primary purpose of the boats was to carry merchandise. So even if you sat on the boat, we tell you, get up so we can put the merchandise into the boat. But had it been, and we said this yesterday, if it's a ferry or specifically made for people to sit in, then it might be that this whole issue of Malay Vreitan is no longer relevant. It's Mikabul Tuma, irrespective of whether you can carry or how big it is, because Tumat Midras does not have that qualification. So there are certain things that Tumat Midras exceeds Tumat Maga, other things where it can also be to my regrets can apply even if you're not necessarily in direct contact with the item. Alright, so now over here we have another attempt by Dfei Rabbi Shmaltana, Kamishkav Nidatayela. So another Pasuk, Nida has the same thing like Azav, has Tumat Midras. So now it's Meki Mishkavala. It compares her bed to her, Nidata. So Ma'i Itla Tarabi Mikve, Av Mishkava Nami Itla Tarabi Mikve, Afuke Klicheres. So that's the answer, another answer, another possibility is brought by the Bey Rabbi Shmuel. The puzzle they bring is from Nida instead of from Zav. The same idea that the Nida is compared to her bed, and just like the Zav was compared to his bed. And the comparison demands that the bed have the ability to become Tahor. Items that cannot become Tahor will not qualify to accept Tumat Midras. The exception to that is, of course, a Klicheres, 
which does not have Tara be mikveh. Meitiv Rabbi Eloi. Rabbi Eloi asks, Mapets bemeit minayin. A mat, how do we know that it's mikabel tumat mate? Again here, Machloket Rashi and Tosafot as to what material this mat is made out of. Rashi claims it's made out of wood. It's a wooden mat that is made for laying on. Now why? Fishi matzino, Rashi says, Shepshute kleets teorim mitumat maga sheretz. A flat wooden utensil that does not have a bait kibul, it does not accept tumah from the sheretz. Minayin shakli aroui the mishkav moshav mekabel tumat maga bemeit. Since it can be sat on or it can be laid on, how do I know that it accepts tumatamait, meaning coming into contact with it, not only from sitting and laying on it, but also from coming into direct contact with it? How do I know that that accepts tumat? That's Rashi. Tosafot says he thinks that's not the material. But rather, that there is no Tumah on this mat, except Midrabanan, except for Tumat Midras. Again, Tumat Midras is the exception to the rule, because Tumat Midras does not have this demand for certain materials, does not have to be compared to a sock, doesn't have to have a Beit Kibul. All of those items, all the things that are normally required for materials to accept Tumah, because of the comparison to sock in the Pasuk, those all go away when you deal with Tumat Midras, because Tumat Midras is not found in that Pasuk. That's not what it's speaking about. So over here, he says, we're talking about a mat that's made out of reeds. Mat made out of materials that do not accept Tumah. What's the question here? Well, it accepts Tumah by Midras. By sitting on it or laying on it, it would accept Tumah. So Mara says, Vidinu, Tzakal V'chomer. It's a logical argument. Ma pachim ktanim. Talking about here, small earthenware utensils. Very small. What we would call maybe a perfume bottle. Perfume bottle that's made out of earthenware. So that is... Think about an earthenware utensil that's very tiny. The opening is minuscule. Now, in that case, we know that Kli does not accept Tumah from the outside. It only accepts it from the inside. Well, as far as the inside is concerned, you can't get inside of it. Why can't you get inside of it? Because you can't get your finger in. The opening is too small to get anything inside of it. So it's not going to have Tumah Tumaga. It's not going to have any Tumah on the inside because you can't come into contact with the Kli So here, Pachim Tanim, Shitorim Bizav. They are Tohor Bizav because the requirement by Zav is Basar. Even though you could get the hair of the Zav into this, and the hair of the Zav is also Tameh, that doesn't qualify because you need the Basar Hazav to be inside. It's a requirement. Rashi discusses it. Why? But the Basar Hazav has to be in contact with it in order for it to be Tameh. Can't get into the airspace. Can't get into contact with the Klich Harris on the inside. So therefore, it's not Mikabal Tumah from the Zav. Nevertheless, Mayim Bemeit. If it's found in an Ohel, it's found in a house together with a corpse, it will be Mikabel Tumah. Tumata Ohel can enter no matter what the size of the opening is, as long as it is open. So here we have these Pachim Tanim that do not have Tumatazav, yet they do have Tumatameit. Mapets, Shitamei Bazav. We know the Mapets, the mat is Tamei Bazav because it's made to lay on it to sit on. It can accept Tumatazav by simply laying on it or sitting on it. Ainu Din, Then certainly it should accept Tumatameit. We already saw that in those previous Mishnayot that we quoted from Kelim. Tumat Midras is a higher level of Tumat. So if it can accept the higher level of Tumat, it certainly should be able to accept this lower type of Tumat, Tumat Amit. Remember, there were, in that Mishnah, something that could accept Tumat Midras. But then we had wagons, or we had boxes that accepted Tumat Amit, even though they couldn't accept Tumat Midras. So over here, if you have something that accepts Tumat Midras, it certainly accepts Tumat Amit. That's basically the premise of the Gemara. And the Gemara says, Why should that be true? Ha, lately, Taro b'mikveh. does not become Tahor in the Mikveh. Now why doesn't it become Tahor in the Mikveh? Rashi claims because it's made out of wood. And Shutek liates things that are flat pieces of wood that don't have Taro b'mikveh because they're not found in Parshat Midian. Parshat Midian is the battle with Midian where they bring back the spoils and the beauty and they say there they have to go to the Mikveh in order to become Tehorim. So items that are mentioned in that list can be put to the mikveh. Now, wood is mentioned, but that's only mentioned with regards to it as a kli, as something that is a utensil with an internal receptacle. But flat pieces of wood, 
may not be included there, are not in that category, and therefore they cannot attain Tarab Mikvit. That's what Rashi says. On the other hand, Tosafot rejects that. That's one of the reasons that he rejects Rashi's explanation that we're talking about Pshutek Lietzav here. He said, rather, he was talking about that type of mat that's made out of materials that are not Mikabal Tumah. So that's why he says, late, late Tarab Mikvit. It's no Tarab Mikvit because these are not materials that become Tameh or qualify. Even when they become Tameh from Midras, they cannot be made Tahor. These aren't types of materials that go into the mikveh. So that, we just saw before, if you cannot be tahor in the mikveh, then you cannot accept tumat midras. So over here, this mikveh, why is it that it accepts tumat azav? We said over here, well, this mikveh has tamay bizav, therefore it should certainly be tamay tumat tamayt. But wait a minute, how does it become tamay tumat midras? It's something that cannot get tahara b'mikveh. We just said before, why doesn't a Klicheres have Midras? Klicheres doesn't have Midras because it doesn't go to the Mikveh. This item also doesn't go to the Mikveh. So why does it accept Tumat Midras? So Amrei Rabbi Chanina, Shiny Hotam. Over here it's different. Hol Ika B'mino. In its category, it has Tumat and Tara B'mikveh. It does have Tara B'mikveh. It may not be this particular utensil, but there are utensils in its category that do go to the mikveh. So for Rashi, that means we're talking about wood. Wood, that if it's flat, doesn't accept tumah, and it doesn't go to the mikveh, but if it was a utensil, it was a bucket made out of wood, it does accept the tumah, and it does go to the mikveh. So since within its category, it has that mikveh, that's enough. As opposed to klicheres, klicheres doesn't go to the mikveh no matter what. No matter what shape it comes in, or form it comes in, a klicheres never goes to the mikveh. The only solution for klicheres is to be broken. That is Rabbi Chanina's answer. Whereas Tosafot has to explain this, which is a little more difficult for him, since he's using materials, again, that do not accept tumah. It has to be something, again, made with the bait kibul. If he uses reeds, it makes a basket out of it that has a bait kibul in it. Something that does accept tumah and does go to the mikveh. All right. Amrlay, he responded to him and says, Rahmana Litslan Mahaidato says, God save us from that type of thought. So Adurabar Rukhanina says back to him, Rahmana Litslan Midata Didah, God save us from your thoughts. But time am I, I'll explain my position. Tre cry tive. Tup sukim are written. Div. Beish Ashika Igabi Mishkavo. That's the puzzle we quoted before by the Zav that compared the Zav to his Mishkav. We have another puzzle that says that any bed upon which the Zav lays, that will be Tamei. So now, the difference between the two Pesukim is that in the first Pesukim you have the possessive form of Mishkav, which is Mishkavo, which is the comparison between the Zav and his bed. The second puzzle does not have that possessive form, and therefore it's just Mishkav without the comparison to the Zav. So how do I reconcile? How do I reconcile between the Pesukim? In one pasuk it says, you need to have a comparison to Zav, means you have to attain Tara mikvah in order to qualify to accept Tumat Midras. The other pasuk doesn't seem to have that qualification because it doesn't compare it to a Zav. So this is how Kate said, how do I reconcile? That's Rabbi Chanina. Yesh mino, afgav delaitle Tara mikvah. Ein mino, mishkish mishkavolo. The difference has to do with the material that we're speaking about. So let's take, for example, klicheres. Talk about earthenware. Earthenware... There's no way it can ever become Tahor. Not it, not anything in its category. So that is governed by the Pasuk of Mishkavo. Mishkavo, which says you have to compare it to the Zav. Just like the Zav has Tara B'mikveh, so to this has to have Tara B'mikveh. It fails the test. It doesn't have Tumat Midras. The other Pasuk is referencing materials that they themselves don't have Tara B'mikveh, but their category does have Tara B'mikveh. So that Pasuk says Mishkav. Don't have to have Tara B'mikvah. You don't have to have Tara B'mikvah. Maybe your category has to have it, but you don't. And therefore it's still Mikabal Tumah. That's what Rabbi Chanina says. Chanina's solution is basically that. That I reconcile the Psukim by saying the Psukim are referencing two different types of materials that don't have Tara B'mikvah. One is a material that it, because of the form, doesn't have Tara B'mikvah. But if it was in a different form, it would have Tara B'mikvah. Over there it is Mikabal Tumat Midras. Whereas, there's another material, Klicheres, which never accepts Tarab Mikvah, and that is governed by Mishkavalo and has no Tumat HaMidras. So that's Rabbi Chanina bolsters his position that that's a difference between this Mepitz and the Klicheres. Klicheres does not have Tumat Midras, whereas the Mapitz, the Mat, 
does have to mat midras, even though both of them do not go to the mikveh. Rav Amar, midras klicheres tohor mehalcha. He brings a totally different solution. We've had two solutions until now. We had a, two solutions on the previous Amud. One was the comparison of the Zav to the bed. The other one, the Nida, to her bed. Both of those really function in the same way. And now we have a third. When it comes to Tumat Olamet, there is an exception to the rule about Tumat Olamet. What happens in an Olamet, the corpse that's inside of an Ohel, all the utensils, everything that's in there becomes Tameh. Because we basically look at it as if the house is full with the mate, and it's as if it came into contact with all these items. Klicheres is an exception again, because remember that Klicheres only accepts Tumah internally, not externally. Therefore, if the Klicheres is open, it accepts Tumah because it's if the air got inside of it, and the mate touched it on the inside. It's Tameh. The exception to that is Tzamid Patil. Tzamid Patil is a seal on the top. If the klicheres is completely sealed, then it will not accept Tumah in the Olam Why? Because you can't get accessibility. You can't get access to it. What's the problem? The problem is that you have a klicheres over here that from the outside can't be Mikabal Tumah. It's covered. It's sealed. So it can't get internally. So it's protected inside the Olam It will never accept Tumah inside of an Olam the exception to that rule is if the klicheres is tameh. A klicheres can only protect what's inside of it. Say you have food, liquids inside of it. It protects them in the olamate if it surrounds them and completely sealed in. That's only if the klicheres itself is tahor. If the klicheres itself is tameh, it will not protect that which is inside of it. So here, Rava's proof is this. Any kli, open utensil that does not have a seal on it, ha, yesh samid patil lav tohoru. It does have a seal on it. Everything inside that kli cheres, and the kli cheres itself will remain tohor. Mi lo askinan, dihtinu lishto nida. The Torah never tells us what the function of this kli cheres is. What happens if this kli cheres, yeah, it's a bucket. It's a pitcher. But he says, you know what? I'm no longer going to use it as a bucket or a pitcher. I'm going to turn it upside down and let my wife, who's Anita, sit on it. That's its primary purpose now. Nevertheless, the Torah says, if it's sealed, everything inside is tahor. It remains tahor. What we just said before, if a utensil becomes tameh, it does not protect that which is inside of it. Over here, his wife, who's Anita, is sitting on the utensil, and it remains protective of everything inside. What does that prove to you? That it remains tahor. Why does it remain tahor? The only reason it can remain tahor is because there is no tumat midras by klicheres. That's Rav's proof. Rav's proof is the fact that a klicheres is protective, despite the fact that it can function as a seat or as a bed for his wife, who's a nida, who could transmit tumat midras, shows you that there is no tumat midras by klicheres. Tosafot does question Rashi's explanation here because the Gemara in other places says that a klicheres that is mukaf tzamid patil is completely sealed, still accepts tumat hesse. It still accepts tumat from the outside. If that's the case, then why over here should it be protective? How can you make such a conclusion? The Rabbeinu Tam says that tumat hesse is the equivalent of touching it on the inside. That when the zav moves the object, or the nida moves the object, that hesait, that movement of the object, is the equivalent of touching the object on the inside. And the reason a klicheret samid patil is makabal tumah is because if you touch it on the inside. But the outside still has this property, which is that it's never makabal tumah, and that's why it's protective in all mate. The re, on the other hand, suggests that had it been true that the nida, had she sat on it, would have made it into a problem because of midras klicheres, then even if she did not sit on it, it would not protect in the olamate. The only way the klicheres protects in the olamate is if it has a property that's impregnable, that it can never have tumah that affects it. So here, the outside always has this protective nature to it, that tumah is not accessible. And that's why you must conclude that there is no tumat midras by a klicheres, because otherwise it wouldn't be true of the outside of the klicheres. Hesate works in a different way, it has nothing to do with the outer side of the klicheres. It does not compromise the outside of the klicheres at all. 
That's Rava's proof. Okay, now the Mishnah. We're not getting any easier now. This was the Tumah. Now we're moving into Kilayim. And this is also a difficult Mishnah. We'll get through the first couple lines here. And tomorrow's death is also extremely difficult or takes a lot of understanding. But at least for the basic today, I think we can get through it. Which is, Minayim. La'aruga shishisha al shisha tfachim. You have a Gordon patch that is six by six tfachim. Shizorim bitocha chamisha zeronim. That you can plant in it five different species of vegetation, dalit al dalit ruchot aruga, four on the four edges of the patch, vechat bemtza, and one in the middle. You can see that in the picture in Rashi. It's very simple. You have along the edges of the square, you have planted, excepting the corners. The corners are empty. And then you have in the middle, you have something planted in the middle. The basic problem over here is a problem of what we call kilayim. Mixed vegetation. Kilei Zra'im. Now, the machloket here between Rashi and Tosafot, Rashi believes Kilei Zra'im is all midrabanan, all rabbinic in nature, it's not Torah. Tosafot disagrees and says Kilei Zra'im implies even midoraita. At least in Eretz Yisrael, it is Torah. Now, as far as Kilayim is concerned, the Torah is not necessarily makpid on what we call yinika, that they draw nutrition or nourishment from close proximity or from near each other. The reason we can prove that is by Kilaya Kerem. Kilaya Kerem, which is you're not allowed to plant in your vineyard wheat, barley. You're not allowed to plant them in your vineyard. Nevertheless, if you have a stone wall that's between a vineyard and a field of wheat, you can plant up to the wall without any problem. So despite the fact that they're proximate on either side of the wall, that's not our issue. What is our issue? That they're not bigirbuv. They don't look like they're mixed together. So you cannot be mixed together because you have a wall between you. But you can also have a not be mixed together because there's distance between you. So what is the distance that you have to be apart in order not to be urbuvia? So that's what we call sheer unika. The amount of space that will not allow them to draw sustenance from each other, which is three tfachim. If they have a minimum of three tfachim, distance between them. That's number one. Number two is... If it's obvious that they're not growing together, so for instance, where you have a garden patch, one is going north-south, one is going east-west. You planted one type of vegetation east-west, the other one north-south, two rows like that, and they meet at the top. Over there, it's not a problem that they meet at the top because it's obvious that you didn't plant them mixed because of the direction of the patch that's there. So as far as the four edges are concerned here, the four edges are not problematic because... In terms of the corners, you left the corners empty. Since you left the corners empty, it's obvious that they're not growing on top of each other. They're growing in different directions and patches, and therefore we don't have a problem. The only place you have a problem with them growing over on top or looking like they're mixed is the middle one. Because there, there's no defined separation between them. So over there you need distance. Not just the fact that they are separate, but you have to have amount between them. That amount is the minimum of three tvachim. Now, what you have here, the three tvachim, is three tvachim, even including the area that you planted in. Because we know the whole patch is only six by six tvachim. That means from the center of the patch to the edge is three tvachim. But within that area, you have to plant the middle vegetation and the edge vegetation. So that's another thing that we learn here, that the three tvachim distance between them includes the actual planted area. So what you have here is a patch, three by three tfachim, which gives you that distance that you need. The middle vegetation is three tfachim away from the edge. Again, it includes the space in which you planted, but they're three away from the edge. And that's how you can plant five zeronim, five within that space. How do we know that? Shinamar, because the Pasuk says, Ki cha'aretz totzit simcha, u'chagana zeru eha tatzmiach. This is the beginning of a puzzle in the end of Perak Samach Aleph in Ishayahu. It's introducing that so too Hashem will sprout forth. It's giving an allegory. But the allegory is just like the land, Totzitz Mincha, that takes out its growth, its vegetation. The seeds or the species emerge from the garden patch. It doesn't say a seed, in plural. And the Gemara explains that in a sense. My mashma. How do we learn this? Amr of Yehuda, Kicha Aretz, Totzi Tzimcha, Totzi Chad. 
Tzatzi is one. Simcha is two. Chad. Hare Trey. Zeru Eha is in plural. Trey, that's another two. Ha'arba, now we have four. Tatzmiach. So the end of the puzzle says Tatzmiach again. Chad Ha'ichamsha. That is five. So the puzzle hints that you can plant five things, but then we still don't know the space in which you can plant these five species. Vekim lehul the Rabbonon. This is a Mesorah that the Rabbanon have, that the Chamsha Bishita lo yanke mehadadi, plant five species in such a manner, they will not draw from each other. So that is how we learn that you can plant five species within this patch of six by six Tfachim. Just what's interesting, Tosafot says, he brings, how do we know that it's six Tfachim? He says that some people quote the apostle from Shir Shirim, which is, Lechiav Garugot HaBosem. His cheeks are like a patch of Bosem. And Lechiav is the plural of Luach. He says, like the Luchot. And we know the Luchot are six by six Tfachim. And that's a hint at the idea that there are six by six Tfachim. And that's what says that's a hint at it. But nevertheless, we know that the Gemara says, Kim Luhu, Kim Luhu means that we have such a Misora. Now, in terms of the maximum amount of items that you could plant here, both Rashi and Tosafot say that technically you could actually plant more items here. You could actually plant nine species in here if you really maximize the space. So that's not what's being described. When it says plant Arbaruchot here, it means that you plant along the entire edge of that side of the square. Because if not, if you do not plant along the entire edge, what you actually could do is you could put a dot in the middle, a dot in the four corners, that's already five, and then a dot in the center of each one of the sides. And then you would actually end up with nine species in there, and they'd all be three tfachim away from each other. They'd be three tfachim away from each other because, again, remember, the square is six by six. So if the center point along each edge is three tfachim from its side. And we said before that when you say the three tfachim, it includes the space in which you are planted. So if you were talking about maximizing the number of species in there, you could get nine species in there. So it's clearly not what it means when it says Arba Ruchot. When it says Dalad Adal Ruchot, it means the entire stretch of that side. And that's what the Mishnah is addressing, that it will not look like it's mixed together, even though you planted the entire side with that vegetation. It's at a 90 degree angle to the other side. And therefore, even though both sides are planted entirely, that's not considered irbuvia, even though they're less than three tfachim apart. The only thing that needs that three tfachim is that center space. So that's what the Mishnah is teaching you about what's not called irbuvia, what's not called mixed, despite the fact that you're maximizing the amount of planted space there. That you're planting all four edges plus the center. Again, you can get more species in, just like we described the nine, but that's not what the Gemara is after, that's not what the Mishnah is describing over here. Okay, we'll stop here. And we'll continue with this and the source for this tomorrow.